Okay. We are recording an uh, hope to be exciting episode with author, environmentalist, activist. I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. Um, novelist, um, James Sturce. Welcome to Journey of an Esthete podcast. And you are the author of this marvelous work. Under Thank you for saying so. I mean, it's uh, it was a lot to talk about, and I, you know, I've, I've just um, just finished reading it this past month or week, and um, and uh, I'm wondering a lot, a number of things. I mean, I was, of course, um, it has a lot of good uh, a good book jacket. Uh, uh, Juno Diaz likes it, and other people, and, and there's um, a lot of Jean Michel Cousteau and 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 sea people, and marine biologists, and oceanographers, and all sorts of people like that so there's that definitely a, a an ocean orientation to the book and an environmentalist orientation but in addition to that it's actually really a great work of literary fiction and it's a poem and it's a it's um it's just beautiful and so i don't really kind of know where to proceed and you could talk about how you came to write a book of this um quality uh, over your career or, or anything else you want to talk about with oceans or leave it up to like, like me, you were from New York city, right? Um, That's Manhattan. right. I grew up uh, in Manhattan on the upper West side. Wow. And um, I'll say one thing about the cover. I'll say two things about the cover. Okay. Um, the first, and I can boast about it because I did not make the cover a professional okay. um, cover designer at the publishing house unnamed press made it. And it won two awards um, in August for for best cover of the of the month in in Lit Hub and in Spine magazine. Excellent. Well, it's it's. I wish there were more covers like this. I have to and say. the second thing I will say about the cover, and this is why you need to actually get a, a hard copy of the book, like we have, like <laughs> we have, and and you need to go to readings and podcasts to find out these things. Is if you take the the jacket cover off. Yeah. There is this adorable shark. Wait, let me, um, there we go. Uh, there we have it. There you have it. Well, this shark. is, um, you know what this makes me, so this, you know what this reminds me of? When I was eight or nine years old, the 1970s, I used to go with my parents to Books and Company or Shakespeare and Company and uh -huh. Jeanette, Jeanette Watson, remember her? And, and Gotham Bookmark, there's a whole, New, reading the New York Review of Books, which I read as a child, very, very, um, uh, had, you know, a little bit precocious there. And um, and reading this book and meeting you now reminds me of aspects of that book culture, New York book culture, a little bit. Because well, that's the culture that I grew up in and was raised in. Um, I've <laughs> since left New York, although I'm in New right. York at this moment. Um, but it obviously, things that reside inside of us stay there. Absolutely. And, and I, I hear my father saying, don't judge a book by its cover, but I'm, I'm telling you actually love cover. exactly that. Judge the book by its cover. Well, it's iridescent, by the way, as well. Um, you won't really see that inside, but if you hold it up to the light, particularly the back. Yeah. So all sorts of fun and games you can have with a book before you even start to read it. But the story itself of, of Under Jungle yes. and my connection with the ocean and with water goes back to my childhood. I grew up in an apartment building on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. 
on the 12th floor. And one of my earliest memories is of snorkeling in the bathtub. Huh. And I don't know, obviously I didn't need fins. I didn't go very far or anywhere at all, but I had my mask, I had my snorkel and I would submerge mostly just deep on my, ba um, on my back with enough water to cover my face. Wow. I would just hang out there. Huh. Um, and I loved it. And then I had flippers, fins, I guess, as, as people prefer to call them now. And I would, when they were dry, I would traipse around the, our apartment. I would pretend that the shag carpet in the living room was fingers coral. Um, I figured that our dog, who was a Cairn Terrier, was about the size of a snapper. And I would look out through the, our 12th story windows of, at the street below and pretend I was peering into a, a deep coral wall. Yeah. Um, my parents had no great fascination with, <laughs> with snorkeling or scuba diving or the ocean for that matter. They weren't particularly ocean people. Um, mm. But I was, and I would sit and I would watch the, the Jacques Cousteau series on TV. Yeah. And um, I think the very first concert that I ever attended, this dates me, in sixth grade was to hear John Denver at Madison Square Garden where he absolutely sang the Calypso song. So, so, so that was. Well, I'm, a, I'm actually a, you know, I'm a jazz pianist, and I'm, I'm, my music is very different, of course, than John Denver's. But I consider John Denver a great singer-songwriter and one of the great. I mean, I, I actually like John Denver. Not to get too far into the, I, you know, I was gonna, you were gonna guess about concerts. I was gonna say, did you go see George Crumb's Voice of the Whale? Was that the concert you were taken to? But I don't know. That no, um, no. So it was John Denver and the Starlight Vocal Band. I remember. Um, Open for them. Skyrockets and Skyrockets. Yeah, they're one big song, yes. Yeah. And um, <laughs> yeah, so that was New York City for me, sixth grade. Wow. And and my my budding fascination with the water. Yeah. So then I went to college, uh, upstate New York. Yeah. And um, still with this tremendous fascination for the ocean. Mm -hmm. And I got certified in Skinny Atlas Lake. I went to Cornell. Um, wow. And Thanks to the Cornell Phys Ed Department one summer, um, I became an open water scuba diver. We, as I said, we, we, we dived in Skinny Atlas Lake, one of the Finger Lakes. Um, William H. Seward, who was one of, um, who was Abraham Lincoln's Secretary of State, famous for the purchase of Alaska, Seward's Folly, was also a New York State governor and called Skinny Atlas Lake the most beautiful body hmm. of water in the world. Yeah. We saw trout. Wow. And you got certified. And I got certified and um, scuba diving became important to me. Eventually from there, I got to the, to the Caribbean. And then I started getting additional certifications advanced um, in Florida. I became oh. a, a rescue diver in North Carolina. Wow. An ice diver in New Hampshire. Um, do, you mind, do you mind if I uh, slow you down just a little bit? There's already so much here. I mean, you're you're an athlete and you're doing these things and you're saving your rescue. You're a rescue diver in these different states. And that's um, it's remarkable to, remarkable to me that that's a, a big chunk of your life. 
and yet you're you're you are great at prose and you're a writer. So I mean, I'm sure you're going to get to that. But how did you fit all this? How did you fit all this in? I guess it's kind of the kind of. But I guess we'll we'll sort of figure it out. But well, so yeah. and I will tell you. So yeah. I I you know, and I continued with the diving. I became an ice yeah. diver. I became ultimately a dive master back in Florida, and then yeah. a free diver in yeah. in Hawaii. Um, but I also became a, a magazine writer. Okay. Yeah. And for many years, I wrote articles often about adventure, um, oh. sometimes about adventure sports, um, and frequently about the water. Um, oh. And I wrote about diving in the ocean for a lot of travel magazines, scuba magazines, wow. coastal magazines, but also for more serious publications for the Atlantic, for yeah. the New York Times, the New York Times Magazine. Um, and one of the ways that, that I differ a little bit from, from other people who write about the ocean mm -hmm. um, is although I am fascinated by marine biology and all the life that's there in the ocean, you know, I, to talk about statistics, we know of 240,000 species, marine species, but we believe that there are somewhere from another 500,000 to 10 million. You know, the answer is we really don't know. The ocean covers 70% of the planet and only 5% of it has been mapped. Wow. So it's the great unknown. Yeah. We, we've explored far more in space than we have, huh. than we have on our own planet. Uh -huh. um, but as I was saying, the yeah. way that I differ from so many other people who write about the ocean is I write about the ocean, but I also write about the water itself. I am fascinated by water, what it means to live in an aqueous environment. We talk about how we live on Earth. Right. Reality is only our, our feet. On That's Earth. We live in air. We're surrounded by air. Right. right. And although air is not empty, not at a microscopic level. And obviously we know that it has oxygen that we can breathe. Um, at some level, it has COVID that can infect us. Mm -hmm. um, there are insects and things in it. It is nevertheless a much thinner it is. and less rich environment than water. Yeah. So I am fascinated by, by water as an environment and what it means to live in this thick, incredibly rich environment that would surround you and press against you and bring you everything you need and know of the world and your sense of the world. And I tried to um, delve into that. You do, I, 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 should, I, should, I should interject here that that's very explicit in, in this novel up front. So your narrator, talks about that very thing and very, and very um, another thing I want to say that, that I appreciate about your novel is it's blend of a little bit, I don't want to say polemical, a little bit propositional philosophical language, the narrator with classical storytelling. And it's an interesting blend that you don't often see in works of fiction, I don't think. And I, and, and of course it relates to, I made me think of that because you know, that's one of the things your narrator 
discusses, you know, those air thing, that's different. Or the coral, we, they have their own cities and they're different and we have our thing. They're very, I don't, I don't want to miss, miss, uh, miss uh, that's sort of the things you get into. Uh, if you don't, later on, if you don't mind, I'd love to hear you read from this. Board. I'd be happy to. But um, go ahead, because that's interesting that you bring that up about the air and the water and, and, and the environment. So part of what first fascinated me as a journalist, um, and then even more as, as a fiction writer, is the question of how do I describe not what the ocean is and what water is, but what's it like? And for many years, I was a travel journalist, and I taught travel writing, and I would always tell my, my students, um, you can always find out the facts on Wikipedia. That's right. Every day there will be more information available than there is today. Mm -hmm. Information is cheap, but your job, yeah. my job as a writer, is to see what things are like. So I hope that well, it's, it's, the, it's the feeling. I mean, again, I, I on our on my show, uh, I come back over and over again to this phenomenological point that that's the the function of the arts is that very thing. It's not, it's, it's about as far away from, from dry fact, you know, and, and, and statistics as you can get. And so I, it's hearing you say that, that's yes. That's very and, true. And the other part of it is as a, as a journalist yeah. and one who has written about the ocean quite as much as I have, um, at a certain point, I, I don't think if we are connecting, if our connection with the ocean is through facts, is through my telling you about how the ocean covers 70% of the planet, 5% of its map, the, the amount of species, the number of species, the depths, all of that, interesting, valid, important. Yeah. But there's never going to be a real connection. And you're never going to love the ocean based on based on numbers. No. So you need to bring in the heart. And that's why I wanted to tell this story, this particular story, and why I told it the way I did. Yeah. Because I, I think the heart is the most important thing. You can't tell people to protect the ocean, to protect the environment, to take care of one another. You have to make them love one another, love the ocean, and then they'll want to do it on their own. Hmm. Is there a um, a particular passage in this novel that you would feel moved to read that maybe connects with some of the things that you're you're now discussing? Uh, things that he said, talks about we're creatures of love, or one of the the because uh, I think well, I think maybe I'll read the the first page or so. Okay, um, why not start at the the beginning? At the beginning, isn't that? Um we learn in, in The Sound of Music. <laughs> oh, this is a treat. And I will put on my, my glasses for this. Excellent. I fell for you from far away. You had skin like waves. I know it wasn't the pull of the moon. You smelled like fresh water, pureness, and trouble amid the pulverized sand and shells. I already knew what you looked like and how you moved. I was a puddle in the ocean, 
I wanted to turn you into jelly. There has never been a world like ours, a place that was perfect, even before I knew you were in it. Our world is canyons and ledges and phosphorescent trickles and mountains and swirls and sponges. It is plankton thick enough for farmers to herd and fishers that flash boil lobsters into feasts. It is polyps and oysters and undulating pelvic fins. It is our origin and the future. Amid the bleats and yowls, the sea fills quickly with ballads about satisfying every kind of hunger, not all of them requiring food. I was flailing fins, a somersault of nerves, hints of you washed across me and I opened my mouth. There were bubbles in my stomach. I kept reminding myself to breathe. I've always said this is a peaceful world. There is no stillness, no possibility of getting caught in a morass. What choice is there but to let the current take you? We urge our young to go with the flow. Hmm. In the surge and saturation, the hold of water is all around us. To know someone is to engulf them. Eventually, the tide will bring you back. This is the only place I know, but it is one of vastness, of roiling sands and squeals and moans of thick seaweed forests, abyssal plains and hills and lava pillars coated with volcanic glass. But it is also a cradle. This womb is everywhere. It is a place you never have to leave. Deep below the surface, our world is cold, dark, and content. Colors are fickle. Red disappears first as you descend, followed by the yellow of the sun. The hundred shades of blue last the longest, but eventually there is only black and the candy dews of the ocean floor. Where the pressure is constant, it clings to you as an embrace. We are most comfortable there in our sheath, but sometimes we'll approach the surface to see the spectacle of lightning strike. And it's a dangerous kind of ecstasy. From the right distance, you feel the water tingle. Closer up, you see and hear the zooplankton fry. The world is flitters and ripples and secret vibrations. It is languorous undulations and scarlet bellies. When I first sensed you across the ocean, I knew I wanted to make you spill your eggs so that my gentle army of warriors would attack them. And that's how we begin. It is in the beginning. I saw that one of your um, quotes is from Daphne Merkin, whom, whom I'm a big fan of, and she she uh, said some really uh, perceptive things. I think about your your book. Um, it's interesting. Well, she's a wonderful writer. Um, when I read her novel, um, oh yeah, uh, Twenty Two Minutes of Unconditional Love, I was I was blown away by it. And you know, I, I think when I wrote to her to ask her if she would write a blurb, I. I think I said that I thought that her some of her writing was, was hydroelectric. <laughs> <laughs> that it is. I mean, I can see, I only mention it not because of, the, of course, the quote and, and her, her, her prose style, but also I think there's a little similarity, a little bit maybe, um, maybe in, in your projects. So, I don't know, a little bit. No, I love her writing. Um, and and um, we both talk about the heart and what the heart makes us do. Um, People who are who are um, just tuning into it now, who don't know that much about Under Jungle, I, I'll say that I like to say that it's a tale of love, loss, family, and war, hmm. set entirely underwater. 
Tiling underwater. So War and Peace, but 3,000 feet deeper. That's right. And considerably shorter. And maybe a little <laughs> funnier, too. <laughs> well, it's interesting because I, um, I mentioned earlier that there's a classical aspect to this novel. I'm sure, I guess, you, I don't know why I'm moved to say that. There's a little bit, little bit of classical storytelling. Uh, even though it's a contemporary book, and it's, um, I like that, you know, and I, I'm sure, of course, that was conscious on your part. And well, I'm wondering, I'm wondering, thinking out loud, um, the connection between your considerable journalism and reporting and, and writing for the Atlantic and, and, and scuba diving. I'm wondering the relationship between all that work and in writing and a, and a work of fiction like this. The the connections or that prepared you for this in some ways, or maybe it didn't, or the differences. Thoughts about about that? Because I, you know, well, I should say that this is my my second novel. Um, mm -hmm. My first one was a novel called Sasso, um, set in the cave towns of Basilicata, Italy, very wow. far from the water. Mm -hmm. um, but you are right. My my main profession as a writer has been as a journalist. But the kind of journalism that I've written has always, um, and so much of it has been travel writing, yeah. has focused on a sense of place. And I think that prepared me to write, to write Under Jungle because I knew that the ocean itself, the water itself, was going to be a character. Oh, yeah. That my creatures... Um, don't live in an environment that they take for granted. They understand that the world is one and they are part of it and <laughs> that the water is their everything. Yeah. It's interesting. I've, I'm thinking of Joseph Roth's Call It Sleep, you know? Um, mm -hmm. I haven't read that in a long time, but yeah, a, okay. But maybe that maybe New York is a character and that is like the ocean. I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's, I don't know. Well, I haven't invented, um, you know, the idea of an environment being, <laughs> right. being a character in your story. Sure. Um, but maybe I'm the first one to, to write a novel deep underwater. There have been obviously other stories set underwater, not just um, novels and short stories, but a lot of, a lot of fascinating movies. Yeah. That's, that's so true. many, so much of our understanding of the ocean cinema, uh, cinematically, um, is more on a, on, on a, the level of, of um, writing for young adults. I see. Yeah. And I think, you know, we think of Little Mermaid, um, yeah. Avatar, The Way of Water, um, right. Finding Nemo. Yeah. They're all great. Um, yeah, but, they are. I mean, you know, I, I think... Yeah. approach. Well, when I think of texts like that, I think tend to think of more of the adult things like The Deep by Peter mm -hmm. Benchley, and that's a uh, there's that too, of course. And but that's not, I mean, your your book, as you don't need me to tell you, is highly original, and it's not it's not um it's not often that you know a work is written that is that is an original in this way. That that's so that's something something commendable, I think. Um, Thank you. And unusual, I think, in, in arts and letters today. Um, Although, um, did you want to, I mean, again, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit, um, we're both New Yorkers, we both have this experience of, of New York culture and book culture. 
Um, but you have uh, insight that I do not have. You possess, um, I want to say wisdom, but possess sort of, uh, you're tuned to things to which I am not tuned because I'm not a scuba diver. I've never rescued anything at all. I can swim, you know, I can swim, but I'm not, I haven't spent the enormous time you have in these, what I consider athletic um, uh, pursuits or dentures. Um, what would you say that all that experience, how does that, how does it make you see the world differently than say someone who's not as fortunate or not as experienced in that? If you, in other words, what, uh, what do you think of? What do you pay attention to or not pay attention to? You know, um, with all that experience. I just so I'll, I'll answer you in, in two different ways. So the first thing I should say is I am a, a native New Yorker, a New Yorker to the bone. Okay. However, um, some years ago, um, my wife and I purchased some land on the big island of Hawaii. Wow. We home. Um, and it's um, in the middle of a pasture surrounded by tall grasses and cows and whales um, in, in the wintertime. And during the pandemic, we, we fled there wow. and realized that it was quite a nice place to be. Huh. Um, so it's where I did the bulk of the work Interesting. on Under Jungle. Interesting. Um, scuba diving, but also free diving, which is what you do without the tank. I see. Um, and exploring the, the Hawaiian coast as much as I could. And not just the coast, but obviously submerging. So one thing I've always felt as a, as a travel writer, but even maybe more as a fiction writer, is that you can describe something far better when you're right there in front of it or inside of it, hmm. in, in the case of the ocean, than you can at your desk. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time underwater, mm. thinking, huh. and, and, and perceiving, huh. observing, I should say, yeah. um, trying to figure out what, how do I describe the water? How do I describe the things that I see? Mm -hmm. um, I've always been the kind of um, scuba diver who dives with a lot of underwater slates. And okay. everyone's always um, alarmed, um, because as soon as somebody takes out a slate, it seems like the assumption is they have a complicated problem that they can't describe with hand signals. I see. I, I, so I always warn people, I'm yeah. going to be diving with a slate and I'm going to be taking notes. Well, because you're a writer. About me. <laughs> <laughs> you're a writer, of course, yeah. So I spent a lot of time underwater thinking about the ocean, thinking about sure. the oceanic life that I would see. Yeah. And then the second thing, uh -huh. and I had done that before. But the part that was really new to me was I spent a lot of time thinking. Just thinking. Uh -huh. um, this is something that I, that I, I don't believe that we really do anymore. Um, you know, we, we just play games on our, on our screens, on our, on our phones, or, or scroll through social media. Oh, thank or, you. 
you know, chat with friends. But do you define thinking the way Hannah Arendt defined it in a more narrow or very specific? You know, her her definition of Hannah Arendt's definition. I can't of remember thinking. her definition. You'll have to refresh. Well, me. she she thinks that to really think, you have to sort of divide yourself into two, and have a relationship to a thou, and and that that it involves. It has to involve ethical responsibility. I mean, she's very tall order for what thinking is. She's very, yeah, I just thought I would just, I don't know, it made me think of that. But I'm not sure that, 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 that she's a little out. Responsibility is necessarily part of my, my thinking right, right. process. I, I would hope that, that I take on ethical responsibility as a human being. Sure. as a participant in the global civilization that we're all yeah. part of. But I think thinking is 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 a very intimate um, process where you don't erect walls. That's right. You let your mind go as far as it can in in any possible direction, and hope that you can discover something. One of yeah. the interesting things I think about the water, unlike land, is you can go in any direction. You can go up, you can go down, you can go from side to side. We're not bound like we are on earth. Interesting. By our inability, all we can really do is, is keep our feet on the ground. In the water, you come up in the water channel, you go down. Um, fish have, most fish have swim bladders that, that allow them to do that. Um, we don't, um, obviously, but not all, not all, um, sea creatures do sharks don't, which is why they have to keep swimming. Um, but I think if you can move in every direction, then you realize also you can move deep into yourself. Interesting. And maybe it, it, although it is hard to think linearly sometimes in the, in the water, thoughts oftentimes um, blend together, thinking becomes more experiential than, than, than specific. I think nevertheless, it, it, it's a very meditative experience. And that meditation then can continue on land when, wow. when your thoughts do get a little clearer and, and, and more precise, more linear. That's fascinating to me. Um, are you... Are you going to do writing in the future that's more repertorial or maybe less less um, uh, fiction oriented again, or is this signal a new ch a churn or a change, or does it depend on what gigs or inspiration or, or different? Well, I mean, I hope to write a lot more about the ocean, and okay. I would like to write about the ocean from a variety of perspectives. I probably will do some more repertorial work. Um, I've certainly been writing articles. Um, as Under Jungle was preparing to come out um, about the ocean and about um, the water itself. But I, I found Under Jungle to be an incredibly meaningful and, and happy experience. I loved writing it. I loved the process of writing it, the discovery of the world I was creating, the discovery of the thoughts that I was capable of having the, the feelings. And I would like to stick with Under Jungle and Under Jungle's kind of writing for, for a lot longer. Um, I do have a, a, a sequel that I've just started 
and I won't talk too much about it, but but I will say that that I have more to tell and, and more than I want to tell. Um, well, I'm glad that you're not gonna. What is it? The John Waters quote. He said he doesn't want to. He didn't want to talk about a new movie because it would hex it, and <laughs> it hexes my vid. I think David Letterman says, but isn't that something you would want for one of your movies <laughs> to be hexed? Yeah. But I, but I don't know. But I, I'm thinking that you know, I'm glad you at least mentioned it because it gives the audience or readers, you know, something, something to look forward to. There will be more. Um, interesting. I can't tell you when. <laughs> How much uh, of human life? I mean, there's a lot of human life in this Earth life in this book about the ocean. Interestingly enough, and talk about a little bit about that relationship about, you know, human-centered concepts of of, of warfare and social status and. Or the creature itself that they're, I don't know, without giving too much away or getting into well, We've talked generally about, about the book. I mean, I'll say um, two specific things about it. That the book is set deep underwater. Yeah. Um, I have invented a species I see. that lives underwater, that yeah. entire civilization is underwater, a, okay. a, a species that is highly intelligent and highly sensitive or emotional. And it is the narrator of the narrator of the book is, is a member, is a member of one of seven tribes of this underwater civilization. Um, and I call these species collectively, first I'll spell it. Y C. And it's pronounced us. And it is, in fact, the Mongolian word for water. Wow. But I chose it not just because it's the word for water, but because us sounds a lot like us. And the book very clearly is about ourselves. That's right. That's a, But that's the dance of the book. That's the way you, that's, you know, that's some... Um... It occurred to me very soon. I think the passage you read to, today, the opening, right after that, I was starting to say, oh, this is about our, uh, us. It's a, it's a mirror to us in a way. And I think that that's, yeah, definitely. You know, one of the, you know it's interesting you say uh, it's a mirror to us. And yes, of course it is. One of the interesting things about water is that water itself was the first mirror huh. long before we had actual mirrors and it probably played a, a, a crucial role in, in the development of, of, of consciousness. I think so. I think that's probably true. You might know a bit more about that than I do because I, you know, I don't, I don't know. Um, did you, um, what, when you were growing up into the writer you are now, did you have favorite writers or, or models or, or, or reporters or journalists or science writers or novelists or whoever comes to your mind that you, you read that person like that person? I like what they do with words. Who, who would you, who do you, come, comes into your consciousness? When you... So the writer who I have always loved since I read the first um, short story of his was uh, Leonard Michaels, who's no longer with us. Um, Fantastic. But he grew up um, in the Lower East Side. Yiddish was his first language and then became the most fabulous short story writer. Um, 
and along the way wrote an incredibly moving story about about his his crazy first wife called Sylvia um, a spectacular volume of, of short stories I would have saved them if I could mm. uh, going places was another one um, yeah they're amazing I, I'm glad you mentioned him I don't know have people forgotten about him maybe a little bit today I don't, I don't know. know I mean just like they don't know that, broth or, or yeah I don't know but. he never made it to the degree that that other writers like him did yeah. um he ultimately moved to to california to berkeley became an english professor at uc berkeley um wrote the short story the men's club which is yeah. spectacular which he then that's, amazing. that's an amazing well they made it into that movie right with well Frank he made it so yeah. the short story which won i think you know henry award that year he then stretched into into a novel um, which is good, but yeah. not as good as a short story, and was then made into a movie, which is even less good. Um, <laughs> but he, but so Leonard Michaels, and I what was always fascinated me about Leonard Michaels, um, is I later learned that he was tone deaf, huh. and that and I because I always found his his writing to be so musical, and then I realized that it is musical because this is his music. This is his music. That's right. So I think that he has deeply influenced me at a, a granular level of trying to bring that poetry into his prose. Yeah. In my prose. Sure. That's um, Leonard Michaels. I wasn't, I wasn't, um, wasn't expecting that name, but I was happy to hear it, hear him, hear it. Um, are there others or that you, that you would think are, um, so, you know, from, from the ocean perspective, um, I read, um, you know, on the one hand, the sea around us by, by Rachel Carson, but also 20,000 leagues under the sea by Jules Verne. And it captivated me that world. Yeah. And I knew that I wanted to write about nature which was maybe a strange thing to to um decide in new york city hmm. <laughs> nevertheless <laughs> well i don't know i think about new york city people like jane jacobs you know and um isn't there a hasn't there always been an ecological consciousness in certain quarters of new york i mean that doesn't you know what i mean it's not like it's so antithetical there were people from of course yeah. and, and and I, I'm mindful also of something that I was told by a professor in an introductory level yeah. cl anthropology class in college that we talk about cities as being not natural, but we as human beings, creatures, have created them. Oh, yeah. So what is not natural about them? Yeah. For better or for worse. species is capable of doing. They too are natural cities, yeah. For better, better, maybe for better and for worse, both. Yeah, that, that's um. What are you? Feel go ahead, go ahead. What are your feelings about ecology now and thinking of the future and and, and, and other, well, ocean or natural matters that you come to your head that you know this is the thing that it's on my mind the most now, if if anything. Um, well, I think that that. climate change, climate disasters, yeah. um, all of the, the bleaching and 
and um, all the other problems in the ocean, in our world, the fires. I mean, I live in Hawaii, so we just yeah. we just um, experienced a lot of devastating, um, mind-blowing fires, fires that no one ever could have imagined would have occurred. Um, so every day we, 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 we're, we have another lesson about yeah. how we're destroying the ocean. However, I mean, how we're destroying the planet. On the other hand, you know, every day we have a lesson about how guns kill people and we don't do much about that either. Yeah. So the question is, when are we going to start doing something yeah. about all of this? When are we going to decide that maybe we should catch fewer fish? Maybe we shouldn't um, mine the deep ocean floor, the deep seabed, um, until we know a little bit more about it. Maybe we need to figure out how to use less fertile, uh, fertilizer so that it seeps, less of it seeps into the, into, the, into the ocean. There are many things that we need to do. Yeah. Uh, the question is, when will we do it? When will we start, or when will we stop burning quite so much um, oil? A lot of questions. Um, yeah. There are no, there are no answers really. I mean, there are a lot of promises. Well, well, it depends, of course, if your questions are merely rhetorical, which they're not. They're probably a little more. They're both rhetorical and and direct and, and sort of. Uh, I was very pleased, very proud, um, honored to get a blurb also from from Paul Watson um, in the book. Yes, Paul Watson, who is one of the one of the co-founders of Sea Shepherd and now of the the Captain Paul Watson Foundation, who's mm -hmm. out there every day mm -hmm. trying to protect the ocean from from us. <laughs> James, is there any? Um... Any additional things that your consciousness brings to your attention as we approach possibly even good things like this episode come to an end eventually? And is there anything that you feel that you want to say? So, um, Under Jungle is a story about the ocean and it's a story about war, but yeah. it's also very much a story about love. And Love, I think, you know, at the risk of sounding cliched, love is the answer. Love is crucial. Um, I once went to a, a Billy Bragg concert in Italy many years ago, um, the, the singer-songwriter, and he was talking about, he, he said that people would ask him why he would write, he would write songs so much about, about love, mm -hmm. even when so much of, of his focus was on um, social problems. Yeah, and he said that, he, that the reason was one that he took from the great Italian philosopher and politician, Antonio Gramsci, which was that until you have loved another person and you understand that that what love is deeply, you can never really love the world or your fellow man yeah. or the planet. But you have to experience love. And I'm hoping that, that I've done something like that in Under Jungle. Yes. That, that if I can make you love the ocean and I can make you 
understand what love is, um, both loving another person, or in my case, creature, um, but also loving yourself, huh. that you can enter the world, or we're already in the world, so continue your journey through the world um, lovingly and, and, and taking care of it, because why wouldn't you? Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for that because that's um that's a very um it's a great note to end on this this song and, and um I want to thank you for your generosity and, and time and your and for writing this book as well, well as well as well as all your immense reporting and, and journalism over the years, which is something that's uh, I'm finding out about now first time and it's great. And um thank you for coming on our podcast and discussing love and, and the ocean and matters of matters of consequence. Well, thank you very much. And, and, um, the other great influence that, that I've had as, as a writer has been, um, poetry. And, um, so the, the epigraph to, to under jungle is from a, a wonderful, Israeli poet, Yehuda Amachai, also no longer with us. Um, and I think I learned a lot from him. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Well, this poetry and this novel. So, so thank, thank you. you. Under Jungle. Under Jungle.